The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw where there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. What sign, then, are you going to do that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one comes to me, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. So good to be with everyone here in person and those of you who are joining us online. uh, My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Before we dive into this part of John 6, would you bow your heads with me as I share one more brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by asking everyone in the room and at home this question. Have you ever been someone who struggles with trust? This past week, Tiffany Blauert, our director of operations here at One Fellowship, shared a touching story about her newborn daughter, Tegan. And first, let's just look at some cute baby pictures of this newborn uh, daughter, Tegan. There she is. How cute. Hello, I'm new here. And there's Tegan swaddled and sleeping. And then next, here is Tegan with Tiffany at rest and at peace. So... Back to the story Tiffany shared. She told me and she told our staff, every time I now go into Tegan's nursery, I meet Jesus. I said, well, tell us more about that. And she went on to share, well, it all began a while back when Tegan was crying one day for no apparent reason. You see, Tegan had been changed She had been fed, 
she had been held. And that's when Tiffany gave Tegan a little mommy talk, according to Tiffany. Tegan, she said out loud, you're going to be okay. Want to know how I know? Because I'm bigger than you. I'm wiser than you. I can see so much more uh, than you can see. And I've been taking care of you every single day since you were born. And that's when Tiffany herself began to cry. For at that moment, she heard Jesus whisper in her ear, Tiffany, and I've been doing the same with you. So now every time Tiffany goes into Tegan's nursery, she meets Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful story? What I appreciate about the story is how it illustrates how we can go through life following Jesus and yet struggle to trust him along the way. It doesn't matter what he did for us yesterday. It, it might not even matter what he did for us earlier, even today. All we need is to receive that phone call, open that email, read that headline, and we're in yet another tizzy, right? Can anyone relate to this experience over the past year? Well, that's what's great about today's passage. It reminds us of who we are in the context of who Jesus is. So let's dive in. The big idea or the big takeaway from our scripture today is this. Even when we don't believe he is enough, Jesus is more than enough for you and me. So whatever you're bringing in today to this Sunday morning, let me repeat this big idea. Even when we don't believe he is enough, Jesus is more than enough for you and me. So let's unpack this. Point one, sometimes we don't believe Jesus is enough. Beginning at verse 24, our passage reads, When the crowd saw that Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Any of you like funny signs as you drive along the road? I do. Carly and I came across some funny signs over the interwebs this week. Let's take a look at these signs. The first one here, it says loose gravel. I think that's a bit of an understatement, right? Let's go to the next one. All right, this one's a, a quickly made sign. It reads, polar bear is in the area. Use extreme caution when headed outside. Go with a coworker and then someone used a uh, marker and said, go with a slower coworker. Very thoughtful sign. <laughs> All right, next. This one's really peculiar because it was found in a church. It's an air horn above a sanitizing station, and it says, use the air horn if you sense imminent danger. This will alert the congregation to evacuate the building. Do not put yourself in harm's way. Okay, I have no idea what this is all about. All I know is if I was a kid, I would have used the air horn. My son Blaze would use this air horn. All the Swartzbergs, you all would use the air horn, right? Yes, let's be honest. Okay, one more sign. How about this one? St. Martha's Episcopal Church, we love hurting people. 
right? Little confusing message, Ray. Now, good signs are supposed to not simply say something, but good signs are supposed to point us towards something, right? Well, our passage starts in a rather odd fashion with Jesus confronting a large crowd with these words. Listen again. Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So what is Jesus referring to here? Well, the answer is found in the opening verses of John 6, where we read that Jesus had taken a small amount of loaves and fish and just the day before multiplied them to feed the 5,000, which really would have been over 15,000 if we include kids and women. And yet, as we sent our passage, the crowd had missed the point of the gift or the point of the sign that Jesus had shared. You see, they were coming to Jesus for selfish reasons or shallow reasons. Kind of like, kids pay attention, kind of like the kid who opens the parent's gift or the grandparent's gift on Christmas morning only to see it, play with it, toss it aside, ignore the love behind it and say, okay, now what's next? Can any, any parent, grandparent relate to that story? That's kind of what's happening here. Our passage, it says, uh, what have you done for me lately, basically, through the attitude of the crowd? And uh, if we're honest, this is not something we just see in our kids or ourselves. We see it throughout the whole Bible as we read. And it's what Jesus is aiming initially in our passage to call out in the crowd. The passage continues with Jesus saying, don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And then the crowd goes back and forth with Jesus in a very pointed fashion. Well, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, well, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. And then they continue right back at him. Well, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They come back. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. And just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Peculiar, right? So what is, what's happening here? Well, the crowd, the people, Jesus had generously just fed the day before are calling out Jesus using some kind of grid of religiosity or performance-based living to measure the kind of man or leader Jesus is. That's what they're doing. Hey, Jesus, they basically say, if you're so special and you're sent from God, why don't you do something greater than Moses? And then Lay language, they're basically saying, you fed us low-grade or barley bread yesterday for just one afternoon. But Moses, he, he fed our ancestors bread from heaven. Oh, and it tastes better for 40-plus years. What you got, Jesus? It's basically what they're doing here. And so in their hunger and in their arrogance, they call out Jesus. Now, in different ways, when our own needs aren't being met, 
Might we do the same? This leads me to point two. Jesus is more than enough for you and for me. Following his statement, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent, Jesus pulls back the veil on everything with these words. Truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. To which he said, I am the bread of life. No one comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And boom, he reveals himself. Just like that, Jesus reveals the raw truth about humanity and even Moses and the rich truth about himself. Now for note takers, get ready because we're going to dive into some rich material here. How does Jesus reveal this truth? Well, he does it in several ways. Listen to the text closely with me. First, when the crowd initially asked Jesus what they can do to perform the work of God, Jesus responds, no, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. Now, while the crowd quickly passes this statement by, we dare not, for it undergirds the whole Bible. As F.D. Bruner reminded me studying about this passage this week, this is where we get the terminology sola gratia. Anyone ever heard of that? Which means grace alone. Here's what it means. There's absolutely nothing we or the crowd, and I really want the kids to pay attention because this will save you so much heartache. There's absolutely nothing that we or the crowd can do to win the favor of God. No amount of good works or good deeds qualify us for his love. As all of our lives and all of our motives are tainted just a bit by selfishness or sin. And we see that in our passage. And if we're honest, we see that in our world, right? Thus, we are saved by grace alone. Meaning, listen to this, this is really good news. We're saved solely and totally by God's undeserved, never-ending, loving kindness. This is why Jesus responds to the crowd's religiosity by saying, it's not about your works. This is the work of God. And the Apostle Paul would later write it like this in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not for yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if we're to understand Jesus, we're to understand him through the lens and the gift of grace. You'll never be enough. He'll always be enough for you. This leads us to a second treasure found in our passage, another fancy term, what the reformers called sola fide. Anyone ever heard of that? It means faith alone. When Jesus says to the crowd, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent, and no one comes to me 
will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. The invitation is clear and beautiful. We're invited, listen to this, to receive all Jesus has for us simply by spending three hours every morning reading scripture and praying and getting on our, no. Simply by believing, trusting, coming and receiving by faith alone. Now, I don't know about you, but this one's hard for me at times. Sure, on one hand, I'll maybe ask God, God, what have you done for me lately? But if I'm honest, often it's me asking myself, what have I done for him lately, right? I felt the guilt of wondering if I've read enough, prayed enough, worshiped enough, served enough, shared about his love enough. At times I've acted as though the hope of my faith is contingent on the strength of my faith. And honestly, it's exhausting. Can any of you relate to this? Recently, I came across an illustration that's really helped me on this front. It comes from the late Martin Luther. Quote, we might compare this to two persons who possess a hundred goldens or gold coins. The one may carry them in a paper sack. The other may keep them in an iron chest. But for all that, both possess the entire treasure. Thus, the Christ whom you and I own is one in the same, regardless of the strength or the weakness of your faith or of mine. In him, we possess all, whether we hold him with a strong faith or with a weak faith faith. You see it? Thus, our faith need not be perfect, Leslie. It need not be perfect, Colin. It just needs to be true. It needs to be real. This is the, excuse me, this leads me to the last treasure we're to see, and it's the biggest and best treasure from our passage. And it's from another Latin phrase named solus Christus. Anyone heard of that? It means Christ alone. As our passage makes clear, and here's, catch this, it's from the words of Jesus himself. He is the ultimate gift of God, and only by him and through him and him alone can we be saved, and he's more than enough. He's more than enough for you and me. This is the work of God that you believe in the one. He sent. Truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he drops it. I am the bread of heaven. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying that all of the crowd's longings and all of our longings are wrapped up in him. The manna from heaven in the desert in the Old Testament was a foretaste of him. The feeding of the 5,000, that was a foretaste of him. The prophetic words you read over and over again about thirsting and longing, those are a foretaste of him. Isaiah 55, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy wine and milk, Without money, without cost, why spend on what is not bread, 
your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. You will delight in the richest affair. Give ear, come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Jesus is saying these words point to me. It's available to everyone. And just as he did as he approached the disciples walking on the water last week, we talked about that, right? He drops this bomb from Exodus 3, I am. It's a title reserved for God alone, and it's the title on which all the promises of God find their footing. So why does he share this again? Well, because Jesus promises to bring life on behalf of the giver of life. That's the point. You see, even when we don't believe he's enough, Gabby, he's more than enough for you and me. We can pursue that perfect partner. We can pursue that perfect job. We can pursue that perfect dream. We can pursue that perfect place. We can pursue that perfect house and still come up empty in the end. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yet by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, our greatest longings can find their greatest answers in the world's greatest love, both now and in the life to come. I want to close by sharing these words from C.S. Lewis, the late C.S. Lewis. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely, excuse me, want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or think of some foreign country or take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can satisfy. He goes on to write, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. And Jesus comes to the crowd and he comes to us and he says, I am. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So it begs the question, are you hungry? Are you thirsty are you carrying longings that aren't satisfied right now? Might it be that they're pointing you to Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this reminder that we can, we can go to the furthest ends of the earth and still not be satisfied. We can chase all these dreams and still come up empty in the end, but here your son says, I am the one who satisfies. God, may 
May we come to you in a fresh way right now. As we come to our time of response, may we come with humble hearts and in hungry hearts. You invite us to be people of deep longing, but to bring those longings to your son. So meet us, love us, and go with us today. We pray in Jesus' name.